join me in our responsive welcome. No matter who you are or where you are in life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, or Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. In January, we started a sermon series called Starting with a Song, where we uh, chose the anthems that the choir would be singing first, and then drew on the scriptures that had inspired those anthems. For February, we continued that, but we are drawing on spirituals, and so you heard plenty good room this morning, and we're doing that as we celebrate uh, Black History Month and remember the rich gifts of the church in all times and places. We are reading this morning from the Gospel of John, and gospel just means good news. We're reading from chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, and you will hear as we read how that connects with plenty good room. These are words of comfort that are spoken by Jesus just before the betrayal in the garden and the crucifixion. It's what we call the... Um, farewell discourse, but in theater terms, if you're a theater person, we would just call it a monologue. It is a long speech given by Jesus. It lasts three chapters, um, and it takes up the time in between the Last Supper and when they go to the garden where Jesus is betrayed. This section is often read at funerals, and it is sometimes read at funerals uh, because it offers a particular vision of comfort for us in times of death. But today we're lifting it out of that context and we're doing that so that we can examine it from another angle. And so today I invite you to listen for what this passage has to say to us about presence, about community, and about belonging. Jesus says to the disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Abide in God and abide also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Words of wisdom for us today. One of the uh, parts of my work over the past two years has been a project with Gateway Montessori, who uses space in our building here, and I call this project the listening table. I shared about it last year, about this time, um, but we are in a new phase of the project, and I wanted to take a few moments this morning to share a little bit 
about what we're learning now that we are almost two years in. At the listening table in the preschool classrooms, the kids come just to listen and to be listened to. If you aren't familiar with uh, the project, it, it began as part of a grant that I received, really with a dual purpose. Part of it was to provide support for preschoolers during the pandemic. And so when I was looking at this um, initially, really without even a grant in mind, I was really interested in figuring out how we support kids during this time of stress. Um, you all remember how that was. Kids were stressed and parents were stressed. Um, entire family systems were stressed. And so figuring out a way to provide support and some space for kids just to process in whatever way that looked like was what I envisioned, envisioned initially. The other part that came, though, later was to test this process itself. And the process was modified by something that was originally developed by Reverend Dr. Leanne Hadley. She had used it in religious settings with older kids. Um, it's grown, it's been used with adults. Many of you have used it in um, your spiritual formation groups or in other settings. But it had not been tested in a secular setting or with young kids. So we were looking at how does this work? How do we provide spiritual support in an environment that is open to however kids are experiencing and expressing spirituality at that time with very young kids, kids ages two to six? And so rather than describing that process uh, to you this morning, we're actually gonna try it out this is the process as I've been using it in the preschool. And so as we begin, I'm going to, there's some options here. If you're comfortable, if you are near somebody um, and are going to be comfortable sharing with one other person very briefly, um, that will be an option. If you prefer to journal or just meditate um, quietly by yourself, that is also an option. So if you want to be closer to somebody and you are not yet there, I'll invite you just to take a minute to, to get shifted, and then we will begin. The first thing that we do at the listening table is we begin with a labyrinth. Folding my bulletin here so I can hold it up better. So you have, if you are joining us in the sanctuary, a labyrinth on the front of your bulletin. And this labyrinth will take a moment just to trace together. If you haven't used a labyrinth before, you can't get lost in a labyrinth. It's not a maze. This is just a way that we quiet ourselves and hear what our hearts might be saying.
You may have reached the center of your labyrinth, or you may not have yet. But we will pause there and move to the time of sharing, the time when we think and maybe express, if we choose to, how we're experiencing God. And so Scott is going to put up some pictures of some stones that I use with the preschoolers. I've heard all kinds of things. A couple weeks ago, I heard from a little girl who was very excited that her dress had pockets, which is a feeling that some of us know. I hear about birthday parties. I hear about seeing shooting stars. I hear about arguments with friends. Sometimes I hear about hard mornings or who played with who at recess or about going to grandma's house after school. And one of the challenges for me in this work was adjusting to the work of, um, of the research end of things, because sometimes these stories created a little bit of a conundrum for me. And it wasn't because I didn't appreciate them, it's because I was responsible for reporting on what I was doing 
each and every moment. And so I felt this pressure to make something important happen. And some of the conversations as they emerged were clearly more spiritual than others. Talking to a child about the death of a grandparent, for example, or listening as a child described that somehow they could feel love all around them, even when they are sad. But mostly, I would say probably 70% of the time, it is dresses with pockets and recess games and hard mornings and birthday wishes. This year, this past school year, ongoing school year, I was asked if I would renew the grant, grant, but with a new focus. And this time around, we were going to be training a cohort of folks to try this in their preschool settings across the country, with the goal of seeing if the process was teachable. Could other people learn to do it? And so for the first several months, I was talking to an entirely new team of people who were facing this same dilemma. And so they were asking questions like, how do we know if we're doing it right? And are these in conversations important enough? And it was really then in hearing the questions from other people along with hearing what was happening in their settings, in these times when I think they felt like they weren't doing enough, that I started to be able to quantify the value. Because the conversations carried out week after week were increasing the sense of belonging and community in the classrooms. And I think the reason that that was harder to see at first is because it's an effect I wasn't really looking for. This is a one-on-one -on -one process. We did it here um, interactively, but in the classrooms, it's just me and one kiddo. So it's not team building or show and tell or get to know you activities. It's slow and it's personal. But I think it resonates because that is not the way many of our typical interactions go. Too often our exchanges really are transactional. We communicate in order to get something. Please get your shoes on. Don't forget to pick the kids up from school. When will your project be done? Even our how are you's get rushed through sometimes. I appreciate what um, author Jan Richardson talks about when she talks about the work of being present because she has a fun label for it. She calls it with craft, like witchcraft, but with. Practicing with craft means learning to see relationships as ends within themselves, not means to an end. And it seems simple because we all know that, but it's hard. We are people who are trained to look for the goal. And so when we get to know each other, we get to know each other at networking events. In the business world, we even talk about people as resources, human resources that we have to carefully allocate. And so people become a means to an end rather than a value themselves.
in with craft, we learn to see people as people. When Jesus talks to us, as he did today, about space in his Father's house, the kind of community that he means is the kind of community where we see one another. And we hear these words as being words about heaven, and they are to a certain extent, but they are also words about life on earth, here and now. Jesus, in the Gospel of John more than any other of the Gospels, knows that the resurrection is coming. And so even as he gives this in a moment of saying goodbye, he's not preparing to die. He is preparing for new life. When Jesus talks about transforming our ways of being, of creating plenty good room, as the spiritual says, he talks about transforming the here and now. And so I want to close by sharing with you three lessons that I've learned so far, and I'm looking forward to learning more, about communities of belonging from the time spent listening to preschoolers. The first, and I've alluded to this already, is that the small things are the big things. In order to be who we want to be with each other, we have to set aside the pressure to make something important happen. The pressure to make every interaction meaningful and um, quantifiable in some way. I think especially when we have a sense, as we do in the Christian community, that we are trying to do good, to be people of justice, to help someone. We want to get right to the deep stuff. And the truth is that relationships are built more on the sharing of the day-to-day, the small things, than they are on jumping in. The thing is, is that if you can't find God in flowers and friendships and coffee or a hug from a friend, it is going to be hard to find God in the other stuff. The second thing is that belonging makes room for confession. Of all of the things that I did not expect to hear from kids, I did not expect an area of tenderness would be regret. It's an emotion that we know well, right? But I don't typically think of it being one that very young kids experience as much. But as time has gone on and trust has deepened, in these past few months, I've increasingly been hearing things like, I'm sad because I yelled at my mommy. Or I wish I had been nicer to my friend. That's what I mean by confession, what we would typically label that in the Christian tradition. And I think it's one of the hardest things to make space for in friendships, in the church, in a lot of places. Because when we share something that we didn't do well, we're opening ourselves up 
to judgment. And we know that's a scary place to be. Belonging, though, as Jesus envisioned it, has room for us to make mistakes and to be loved anyway. And so at the listening table, when a kid says one of these things, makes a confession, we might say, and looks up with tenderness in their eyes, I don't downplay it, and I don't offer advice. We sit with it. And if it seems like something needs to be said, then I say, that's a hard feeling. And then I say, you are precious, which means very loved. And you can help others know they are loved too. And the third thing is that belonging invites others in. One of the earliest signs of effectiveness in this work was that the kids would come to the listening table and then they would go get a friend and bring that friend over to the listening table. Another thing that'll happen is that they'll get their invisible reminder and then they'll go tell a teacher, I'm precious, which means loved. And the teacher will say, yes, you are. When they experience the blessedness, they want others to experience it too. We can always define groups by who isn't allowed in them. There is plenty of that in preschools and in other places. It's the easiest way to do it. But true belonging comes with the security of knowing that our belovedness isn't threatened when we include others. The plenty good room that Jesus showed us is meant for each of us. And part of how we know that God is working in us, however we might label that at that time, is when we feel the desire to share that space with others. This week, I invite you to notice the places of plenty good room. Who are the people who hear you? And who are the people who need you to hear them? And as you begin, perhaps even in the moment, to ponder that question, let us stand and join in singing.